Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 12. And it can be found on the Pew Bibles on page 5. The fall of man. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree in the middle of the garden, and you must touch it or you will surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will see God. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves to them that they gathered and covered themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The second Bible reading comes from Luke 4, verses 1 to 12, and can be found on page 10,031 in the Pew Bibles. Temptation of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was hungry and he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing that during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all of the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give all your authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, so I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. The devil led him into Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, to guard you carefully. They will lift up your hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportunate time. This is the word of the Lord. Make him let me go. I didn't do anything wrong. 
How dare you address the Queen of Narnia? I didn't know. You will know her better hereafter. What is your name, son of Adam? Uh, Edmund. And how, Edmund, did you come to enter my dominion? I- I'm not sure. I-, I was just following my sister. Your sister? How many are you? Four. Lucy's the only one that's been here before. She said she met some fawn called T- Tumnus. Petra and Susan didn't believe her. I didn't either. Edmund, you look so cold. Come sit with me. Now, how about something hot to drink? Yes, please. Your Majesty. I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight. Edmund, I would very much like to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. (laughs) But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even... Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, do you mean Peter would be king too? No, no, no. But a king needs servants. I I guess I could bring... Beyond these woods, see those two hills? My house is right between them. You'd love it there, Edmund. It has whole rooms simply stuffed with Turkish delight. Couldn't I have some more now? No! Don't want to ruin your appetite. Besides, you and I are going to be seeing each other again very soon, aren't we? I hope so. Your Majesty. Until then, dear one. Hmm, I'm going to miss you. Let us pray. So God, our Father, as we think now of what it means to be tempted, 
help us to think about whose voice we listen to when those things happen in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gerard Benson was a, was a poet. He's perhaps most well known as one of the founding editors of the poems of the underground. You see, for over 30 years now, if you've ever taken one of those tube rides through the London underground, you may well have seen across the display boards certain selected verses of poems. And one of the most, if you like, puzzling ones that has baffled many people over the years is one that was written by Gerald Benson himself. Here's how it goes. We'll put it on the screen for you now. I was the cause of great troubles, yet resting among leaves, I did nothing wrong. After much waiting, I was taken in hand, passed from one to another. Broken, I moved beyond sharp barriers and was cradled in wetness, mashed to pulp. Soon I entered a dark tunnel where bathed in acid I altered my being. But what I entered, I also altered, bringing light where there had been darkness. I brought strife where there had been peace, pain where there had been comfort. My journey ended in the place of corruption, but by then I had changed the world. Now there might have been one or two of you who were with me at that same event, so I won't ask you yet to reveal the answer. Who thinks they know what he was talking about? Anyone got a clue? Anyone completely puzzled? Anyone couldn't care less? The riddle is... Who's going to tell us? My second daughter might tell us. Because she looked. What is it? The apple of Eden is the, is the answer. Although technically, if you listen to Jack's reading of Genesis, you'll realize that there was no Adam's apple or Eve's apple in Genesis. It's just called the forbidden fruit of Eden. You see, the story of the Garden of Eden is this archetypal story. It's It's this story that has been influential for years. It's one of the most famous stories in the world where the first man and woman are living in blissful ignorance until temptation destroys everything. And Adam and Eve are viewed as this archetypal man and woman. Their story is our story. Their crime is our crime of how humankind was tempted and fell away from God when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And where we pick up the story, where Jack picked up the story for us this morning, is the moment of that dramatic fall. And as you heard Jack reading it, you'll have heard two voices. Two voices that speak. One is the voice of God. The other is the voice of the crafty serpent. And both voices speak into our lives when we're tempted because everyone is tempted in life. Here's the voice of God, our creator. This is what we need to understand right at the start of this passage. Friends, whoever we are, whether we choose to believe in God or we choose to ignore him completely or not believe in him at all, the bottom line is that what kind of the Bible says is that we were made to be in relationship 
with God. That's why we're here. And so when God created the paradise that is the Garden of Eden, he created this beautiful world. He created this beautiful garden that was full of all sorts of trees, that was full of all sorts of trees with delicious food to eat. And he said to them, or said to Adam, you can eat from any tree that you want. You can have the finest fruit that you want, but you can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you will eat from that, you will certainly die. There's a reason why we know that God spoke those words only to Adam. The reason is, is because Eve was not then created. And so I started to think a bit about poor Eve then. Because I think she suffered a bit from Adam's communication difficulties. You know, if I was to ask every woman to sort of like think about this question for a minute, I think I might get a 100% response rate. Have you ever known a man that didn't have communication difficulties? Is it not true? No? You know, have you ever asked a man, oh, what did you do today? And he kind of tells you a load of uninteresting facts and doesn't tell you anything about what he did today. Or is that just me? (laughs) You know, that that's what happens in life. You know, God had spoken to Adam and all Adam had to do was pass on the message to Eve and somehow the message gets lost in translation. And now we pick up the story where another voice now speaks. This time to Eve, who didn't hear the original story, and this time it's a more crafty and shrewd voice that comes to try and corrupt Eve and Adam. You see, this is what temptation ultimately is. It's something that's a weapon to stop you living in relationship with God. You see, let me tell you the best definition that I've ever found about temptation. It was written by a man called John Ortberg, who's an American vicar and also a clinical psychiatrist and he said this temptation is like a computer virus that is sent to attack the operating system of your life which is your soul temptation is like a computer virus that is sent to attack the operating system of your life which is your soul and it doesn't matter whether today we're living in paradise in our marriages and our lives or whether we feel like we're a bit in the wilderness like Jesus was in our marriages and our lives, or whether we're just on living in the plains in our marriages and lives, what the Bible's repeated message is is that all temptations fall into three categories. You see this right the way throughout from beginning to end. These are the three great temptations that will stop you living in a relationship with God. It's the temptation to be, the temptation to have, and the temptation to feel. Here's how they play out in Eve's life. In verse 5. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first great temptation, if you like, the temptation to be someone. And not just anyone, but to be like God. And all of a sudden, Eve's mind is opened up with this very attractive thought. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but temptations, what they're there for is they're often there to twist the truth, aren't they? To create doubt. The truth was, in fact, that they could eat from any tree, bar one. 
Whereas the tempter said, did God say you can't eat from any tree at all? But it's not just her head that's been messed with now because her eyes have now been opened. And the second great temptation is dangling there. Not just now to be someone, but to have something. She can't stop looking, can she, at what could be hers. It offers so much and it looks so good. The fantasies begin and she wants to have it all, so she reaches out a hand to take it. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but we're not tempted to do what we cannot do, are we? We're tempted only to do what is within our power. The temptation to have. Meanwhile, by now, those natural earthly desires are ravaging inside and destroying her soul. She's desperate, isn't she? And the third great temptation entices her further. Now she wants to feel it. Her appetite has been whetted. Oh, this will be so good. It will satisfy this deep hole I feel. So she eats. And so too does Adam. And corruption enters our world. And all of a sudden, the feeling that they thought they were going to feel isn't the feeling they feel. It's the feeling now of pain. Of being burnt. Because playing with temptation, isn't it? It's like playing with fire. And we know this scenario. We know this scenario because Adam and Eve's story is our story. Just like Adam and Eve's story was the story, like we saw with Edmund, of another son of Adam. Where Edmund too in that clip, he faced those three great temptations in life. For him it started out with the temptation to feel. When the white witch comes and says to him, And seems so attractive. My poor child, she says to him. How could you look? You look so cold. Come and sit with me. And I'll put my mantle around you. There's the sensual appeal of the hot, creamy drink. The irresistible Turkish delight. And he can't resist himself to gorge himself. And then there's the temptation to have. Because the more he has, the more he wants. And he wants it bad as you see through the course of the film. And then there's the third that comes to hit him. The temptation to be, for Edmund is promised not just to be prince, but king one day. And he gets wrapped up in the false promises of himself that never truly satisfy. And we know this scenario. I know this scenario. Because I've played it out in my life many times. You see, Adam and Eve's story is an old story. But their story is our story. And we succumb. And we succumb because the crafty and shrewd tempter corrupts us away from a relationship with God. And it will either be in your life or it will hit all three of you the temptation to feel, the succulent desires that mess with our head the cravings that consume our body, the juicy morsels that we, that we can't resist. We, we know them. We see them. The internet site that we shouldn't be surfing any longer. The magazine subscription we should have ended. The video game that's killing us. The friend we shouldn't spend too much time with. 
Or there's the temptation to have the career ambitions, aren't there, that are out there. The juicy morsels when we have the power and responsibility to kind of control people in a certain way. Or we kind of overreach for that lifestyle that seems to promise much and then leaves us wanting. Or there's this temptation out there to be. You know, that we try to play God with our own lives. We, we ignore him. Or we kind of put him into our image of our expectation of who we want God to be. You know, we too ignore the voice of God and we listen to the serpent's voice because Adam and Eve's story is our story. And they think they will be God. Quite literally, that's what they think. And what in reality they find out is they discover what it means to be just like you and me, doesn't it? To be human. To be scarred in some way. They think they're going to have everything and anything, whereas they find in their nakedness that they have nothing. And they've sacrificed everything. And they think they feel they're going to feel incredible. And instead they feel just empty, don't they? That there's nothing there. It's the end of life as they knew it. And it happens so fast, it usually does, doesn't it? And what did that poem say? They brought strife where there had been peace and pain where there had been comfort and the world was changed forever. And their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden they see shame, guilt, alienation, fear, blame, pain. And I was looking at this passage and I've read this passage, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of times and then something hit me about it. It hit me like someone has just punched you in the eye. When the voice of the tempter speaks to Eve, she talks to no one. She talks to no one at all about her temptation. She doesn't talk to Adam. She doesn't talk to God. Instead, she just listens to the voice of the serpent and tries to handle her temptation in isolation. And that's when the difficulty and that's when the problems arise. It doesn't matter whether you kind of believe in God or not. You can kind of take the rest and put it all aside. But you could take this bit. That the biggest danger of temptation is when you keep it secret. And then something else struck me about this passage. Is it not true that the very reason why we kind of keep those thoughts or keep those feelings, or keep those desires to ourself. It's because we get deceived into thinking, oh, well, what will people think of me? Oh, they'll look at me differently. And those very thoughts that result from temptation, when we succumb, shame, guilt, alienation, fear, blame, pain, they're kind of are the things that we'll feel before that. If we ever tell someone we trust what we're going through. Never mind God. We get duped by the voice of the serpent. So whose voice will you listen to? You see Adam had it all. He lived in Eden. Not in an idyllic garden. But the one known as Castle. It's a beautiful place. In the Durham countryside. It's idyllic and beautiful. Take it from me, I've been there many times. 
And I used to watch Adam play. I used to watch Adam play because from the age of 17, he just broke into the first team. And he had the sweetest left foot in the world. Take it from me. He just absolutely devoured defences. And before the age of 23, he left Middlesbrough and he got his dream to go and play for Manchester City. And before the age of 25, he had an FA Cup winner's medal. And he had a premiership title. And then another multi-million pound transfer followed. And you'll know the Adam that I'm talking about because he's been on the front screens of every news TV station, every internet site, every newspaper these past few days and how big his fall has been. And it happened so fast. It usually does. He brought strife where there'd been peace and pain, where there'd been comfort and the world, his world, has changed forever. And you know, it's often in those times of brokenness in our lives that suddenly God speaks. Like he spoke to Adam and he spoke to Eve and he said these words, where are you? You know, God isn't asking this question of Adam and Eve because He doesn't know where they are. He knows exactly where they are physically. He knows exactly where they are spiritually, just like he does with us. God is asking Adam and Eve, where are you? Because he's giving them the chance to come clean. You see, God's question to Adam and Eve is actually a question of grace. You see, while the Bible speaks of the first Adam being our archetypal story. It also speaks of a second Adam. It's the story of grace. It's the story of unconditional love and transforming love. You see, on this Valentine's Day, this is the story of love of the deepest and richest kind. On this Valentine's Day, in the church calendar, it just so happens this year that we remember the temptation of Jesus. That's what the church is doing all throughout the world on this first Sunday of Lent. And it reminds us that he too faced those three great temptations in life. The temptation to feel. After not being eating anything for 40 days, absolutely exhausted, absolutely famished. And the temptation to eat something. Or the temptation to have something, to have all the kingdoms of this world under his command. Or the temptation to be and to play God. And where the first Adam succumbs to the tempter's voice and shame and guilt and alienation and pain and suffering enter our world. The second Adam resists the tempter's voice by listening to God's voice. And instead hope and joy and love and grace and peace enter our world again. You see the second Adam It's the gift of God to each one of us. It's Jesus Christ who died to defeat and banish the dynasty of the first Adam. And because he never succumbed to the tempter's voice, it meant that when he died, the power of everything that resulted from the first Adam that ended in death, it meant that death could not hold him. And when he rose from the dead three days later, it meant that the world had changed and God's future broke into the present. That 
is the hope of what Christianity is based upon. This is the good news that the tempter would love you to ignore and not listen to by distracting you with all those three great temptations that we face in our lives. Because temptation is not a test of our self-control. It's a test of our faith in God. The temptation to feel you don't need God in your life by being self-reliant. The temptation to act like God by being dead to his voice. The temptation to be God by creating him in your image. So whose voice will you listen to this morning? The voice of the crafty and shrewd tempter. This is how it comes, or this is how it comes to me. There'll be the crushing voice. Just give in now. There'll be the self-pitying voice. Oh, it's not my fault. There'll be the mocking voice. Remember that time when you couldn't resist? There'll be the diminishing voice. It's not important. Or there'll be the laughing voice. Don't believe anything he said. It's just a lot of harmless fun, really, isn't it? Or there's the fooling voice. I don't exist, do I? Or you can hear the voice of God. Who speaks only in love because God is love. It sometimes may involve a rebuke. It sometimes may involve a correction at times because love isn't soft. But it will be a voice of love because God is love. And I know whose voice I want to hear when I succumb because the one thing I know in life is I will succumb at times just like you will. Because that first Adam still lives in me. But what I also know because I listened to that second voice. It's the second Adam lives in me. And he loves me, just like he loves you. And even when I fail, even when you fail, he sees not shame, like Adam and Eve saw in their nakedness, but acceptance. He saw not guilt, like Adam and Eve saw, but declared not righteous. Declared righteous. He saw not alienation as they felt, but someone who would welcome me home. He saw not fear as he comes walking, but came and brought perfect love that drives out all fear. And who wasn't going to look and play the blame game, but instead was going to offer forgiveness. And as a result, it's not about pain, but ultimately a chance of healing and restoration and salvation. Whose voice will you listen to? Let us pray. take a moment to to pause about our lives whether you feel close to God whether you feel a million miles away from God he can speak into each one of our lives And so let him do that just now.
So God our Father, may we know how much you love us. As the sun shines into that west window, may we know your presence with us. May we know your love with us. And may we know how special we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.